Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? up to you on the Buffalo Rumbling Podcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nick Geary, and this is the Bruce Exclusive, also Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one is friendship. Hmm. I'm Bruce Nolan, that's Nate Geary. Nate, welcome. Oh, gosh, it feels so good. You know, I'm in the same place. I, I would reckon you're in the same place you were the last episode of Food for Thought. I'm sitting in the same place. It's probably close to the same uh, time of evening, a little bit later, obviously. But um, yeah, it feels great to be here, Bruce. I am in the same room, but that room has been adjusted since I was last doing Food for Thought. So I am facing a different direction, but I'm in the same room. We redid the studio since the last time I did Food for Thought. So I'm sitting in the same room, but I'm actually sitting about five feet to the left of okay. the previous spot where I was. So maybe this gives it different vibes, you know, sitting in this location. But we are going to do something fun today. And that's we're bringing back Food for Thought for one episode. Friggin' A, right. Friggin' A, right. man. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Nate and I did a show called Food for Thought live on Friday nights for two years up until the end of last season. And I wanted to kind of have him on to kick off the season. I thought it would be a fun thing to do. Everyone's doing the same stuff. Everyone's doing it. Everybody's doing the same stuff. What are the big questions facing the Buffalo Bills? And when everybody zigs, I want to zag. And so I thought, you know what? We're going to do a Food for Thought episode right before the opening of the 2023 NFL regular season. And we're going to do it the same way that we have historically done it. We're going to see if we can tie in as many food (laughs) metaphors as humanly possible to football. But we're going to start with an icebreaker. We're going to start with a question about food. And that's this. Nate, opening game foods. For a lot of people, my house included, the opening weekend of football 
is when you really have to nail it from a culinary mm. standpoint. Usually by about week nine, it's a little different and you're getting McDonald's before the game. But week one has to be on point. It's a big deal in the Nolan household. And so for us, this upcoming weekend is a big deal. And we're going to make sure we have it all. Is there a specific tradition? Is there a specific type of food? Is there a opinion that you have on opening game foods, Nate? So I do have, it's more of an opinion, um, but I think that what we have labeled dips as, as this sort of, you can look at it from two ways. The, the first way is it is an opening day food in that it's typically the thing that you're eating before dinner. It's an open to dinner, right? It's the first kind of snack. But I feel like we have dubbed dips as this, you know, perfect game day, opening day snack. When I think in reality, it's become, we've just become so lazy. We're just going to throw a bunch of stuff in a, in a thing, throw some cheese on top of it, throw it in the oven 20 minutes before the party starts and boom, you've got, um, you've got dip. And they're often very tasty, even though they might be random bits of canned chicken and hot sauce and, uh, you know, cream cheese. So I, I want to say something about dips that I, this is not a necessarily a knock against dips. But in terms of opening day foods, I'd like you, if I'm coming over for opening weekend, I'd really like to have like a lot of really kind of high classier food. Like it's, you got to remember the time of year too. This is the beginning of the end of the summer, right? I got to hang on to the summer things as long as I can. Like give me some like grilled watermelon. Mmm, something like kind of high classy, like, a, you know, unique. And it's got, it kind of meshes the last of summer fruit with, you know, your, your grilling desires. So you get that. Oh my God. Grilled watermelon is the best thing ever. Um, like I, I would like some, it, it's tough because I think everybody looks at soft pretzels, maybe the same way that they look at dip because you kind of need dip with salt, with uh, soft pretzels, but yeah. I love a good soft pretzel. Uh, I love, you know, I think pizza gets to be a little bit the same way dips are, which is like, eh, we'll just get pizza unless you're doing some pizza at home, making your own personal pan pizzas, which I think is a great option for, for game day, especially if you have a lot of people over doing a little make your own pizzas. Um, but I, this is the time of year, um, Bruce, where I am clinging to the end of summer um, with my dead bare hands. And like, I want to eat all of the summery type foods. Don't get me I don't want any squashes. I don't want any any types of fall-related foods. Give me whatever is left in your fridge that is summer-based, summer flavor, summer-related, um, so that we can really enjoy the the opening weekend together. But my my main, uh, I guess, gripe here is enough with the dips, guys. Like one or two dips is fine, but I, I don't I don't want the leftovers from your fridge from the pulled pork dinner you had put into a dip. I, give me a break here. I am really hoping that Mrs. Nolan doesn't listen to this episode of the show <laughs> because everything you just said, she mm -hmm. feels the exact opposite of. So wow. number one, Mrs. Nolan loves her a good dip. I love me a good dip. But also we found recently a dip, Nate, that has, it has dug its way through its, through our ears or up our nostrils into our brain and has burrowed itself there and it will not let go. It is this 
you've probably seen it on my Twitter, Instagram. It is a skillet tomato Parmesan basil dip. Oh my gosh, it sounds... Now it that is, is an opening day food. Like, unbelievable. I, I'm good with that, Bruce. What you just described is the antithesis of what I'm... Like, I'm, I'm mad at people for saying, okay, I've got leftover pulled pork from Sunday, last Sunday. Uh, yeah, I got a big bin of industrial-sized cream cheese. Uh, I got some cheddar and some Asiago. Mm, what else can I throw in here? Ooh, there's a pepper. And then just tosses it all into one of those big baking pans. Right. And then tosses it in right before you get over. Like, what you're talking about, you get some, like, what are those like little baguettes that are like dried up baguettes and they're like almost a like croutons? Like, oh man, oh, could yeah. you imagine like, or even just fresh baguette? Like what you're talking about is the dips that need to take over. We not get a that really I need crusty bread. Yes. And then we bake it, we pull it out and we dip it and we just stand there and just yes. graze over the skillet of ooey, gooey, Parmesan, mozzarella, tomato, basil dip. And it is staggering. But the other thing is that for my wife, the beginning of football is the beginning of fall. And so because of that, she doesn't want to hang on to the summer stuff. She wants to quickly get to the fall stuff. So even if it's 84 degrees and sunny out, it could be chilly for opening weekend. Because it's one of those things where if it's not fall, she will force fall upon mm. us. I love fall. By the usage of the food. I love I love fall. I just, I'm not ready to say goodbye to summer. And just because, I mean, listen, when football's here, it's like sort of saying the last words at a funeral. Like, you know, you're the last guy that's getting to talk about this and then summer's over and all of a sudden fall and then winter's here. And I'm just never in a hurry. I love fall, but fall is one month. It's basically the month of October. And then it becomes winter and winter sucks. So like, think about, what is your favorite like summer food? Like that, that you, that when you think of it, it's quintessential. It's summer, like watermelon and hot dogs are to me, like the two quintessential summer foods. And in a month, two months, you're probably not eating a hot dog for six months. See, now that's the thing, but you remember the Bruceism. The Bruceism is eat what you want, when you want. So I have hot dogs in December all the time because screw your food calendar. I eat what I want, when I want. I will not be held down by your tyrannical food calendar. So let's tie this in. Now that we're kind of warmed up a little bit, let's tie this in. The Buffalo Bills have concluded the offseason. Nate, it is over. By the time you listen to this, real football will be upon us. Regular season football. The offseason is over. It's no more. It's no more. It has been washed and cleaned by the dishwasher and has been put back in for consumption. If the Bills offseason was a food, Nate, what kind of food would it be? Hmm. If the Bills offseason was a food, Bruce, it would be black licorice. And here's why. At the end of the day, like the Bills are still Super Bowl contenders, just like at the end of the day, black licorice is still candy. It is still placed in small jars around your grandmother's house, your, your great aunt's house, the funeral home, wherever you might go where old people are afoot. Black licorice, black licorice, like flavored snacks will be about. They will be around. And much like the, your grandmother and 
that being associated with with old folk. Uh, this Bills team is aging, and they are too getting older. And like black licorice, it is an acquired taste. Not many people will eat black licorice and tell you, man, I really love this. And I think at one point this Bills offseason, maybe if you reversed it a year, might have just been normal red vine licorice where everyone is dipping their hands in the bag to grab the licorice and eat the licorice. And now all of a sudden a year later, uh, the, the collapse against, you know, Cincinnati at home and losing in the AFC divisional round and, and for the second straight year, by the way, and you know, the Stefan Diggs drama and uh, everything that this off season is the previous off season. Wasn't it's a lot like the opposite of regular good old cherry licorice. It's black licorice. And now instead of, you know, the national media going and dipping their hands and stealing some of your your delicious cherry licorice, they're saying, I'm good on that black licorice. I'm not a black licorice guy. I'm not a black licorice girl. And I think the same can be said about how the national media is now viewing this Bills team. And instead of talking about them as Super Bowl contenders and having the, you know, one-off troll uh, tell you what a joke they really are, when in reality, everyone knows how good they are, Um you are hearing quite the opposite. You are hearing um, about how the window is closing and the roster is aging and they missed their chance to win a Super Bowl. And, you know, Von Miller's old and uh, the the money that's tied up here and uh, drafted a tight end, another one, like all of these things, right? And oh, oh, how can I forget, Bruce? The Jets are winning the division. The Dolphins are winning the division. Somehow the Patriots are going to win the division and the Bills are no longer the top dog in the AFC East. Oh, and Stefan Diggs isn't happy and he doesn't want to be there anymore. It's like all these negative things, these stereotypes that are now becoming stereotypes of this Bills team are the same stereotypes you hear about people in black licorice. And then you try black licorice and you're like, yeah, you know what? This is not that great. But then it kind of grows on you. And all of a sudden you're buying Jägermeister. And all of a sudden, you know, you're out and uh, you're finding new and impressive ways to find snacks and cookies and weird things that have black licorice flavor because... It's one of those things where you don't want to admit you like it, but you just like it. And it's got this weird, it grows on you. And I suspect that this Bills team will re, will sort of regrow its way into the hearts of the national media. But it's going to start week one. If they look like the team that they looked like at the end of last year in week one, um, no one's going to be buying. No one's going to be eating the black licorice. Um, but I'll tell you, if they look the part and they go out, they beat the Jets on the road in week one of Monday Night Football and make a statement like they did last year against the the Rams on, on, on week one on Thursday night football. Um, I think people will, will quickly turn um, to treating them like uh, the delicious red cherry licorice that they once were. First off that escalated quickly because all of a sudden we're talking about Jägermeister. So it escalated well, yeah, very quickly. It's a uh, black licorice flavored uh, liquor. I know, but it's just, you know, like, like all of a sudden, you know, you have black licorice and now you're like, all of a sudden you become a Jaeger person. Like that's just like, <laughs> yeah, that's quite a jump all of a sudden. I have, I have a follow-up for you there, Mr. Geary. My theory on this is that the national media specifically wants to be ahead of the curve on an up-and-coming team, mm. much more so than want to be on an already good team. You don't almost hear anything about the Kansas City Chiefs either. <laughs> and they were Super Bowl champions. You don't even hear that much about the Cincinnati Bengals. And they were really, really good. Instead, it's about the Chargers. It's about... The Dolphins, it's about the Jets. It's about the people they think are the next mm. man up rather than the people who are already up. It's, it's a little bit like Brandon Cooks. If I was going to do this in terms of fantasy football, I would say 
the Bills are like Brandon Cooks. Brandon Cooks has been underdrafted along with Tyler Lockett for a million years because everybody wants to draft the guy they think is going to blow up. And by their blow up, they mean produce like Tyler Lockett and Brandon Cooks already do. Hmm. So instead of trying to get the guys who do produce that way, they're going to try and reach and pick higher the guys they are hoping in a best case scenario will produce that same way. It's this idea that you want to be ahead of the next big thing. We are paying far too close attention to the trajectory of a team or the perceived trajectory of a team and not nearly enough about the place where the team already is. So if the New York Jets end up getting just as far in the 2023 playoffs as the Buffalo Bills got in the 2022 playoffs, they'll be like, yeah, look, we called it. They're a really good team. But they just got to the spot where the Bills already were. And so that's the thing that I think is interesting when it comes to national media narratives is specifically because they just want to be on the front end of something that is gaining trajectory rather than gaining elevation. I think is the best way to word this. You want to be ahead of somebody who's gaining elevation instead of being on the team that's already at that elevation. And, and I mean and that even, not just the Bills. It's the Bills, it's the Chiefs, it's the Eagles, it's the, the Bengals. It's the teams that are already really good. And on the other end, I think you also want to be ahead on the team that you think is set to fall. You want to be the first to say right. the Bills aren't going to be good anymore. Um, and, you know, I don't think you say that with Kansas City. They've won a Super Bowl. I think you feel like you're in a better place with the Cincinnati Bengals nationally. So who's the most likely top dog to fall? Um, I think by process of elimination, you're picking the Bills. Um, yeah, I, I, it's a good theory. I, I, I like the theory, Bruce. I'm unsurprised that if there's a Bruce Nolan theory that I, I appreciate. Who would have thought? Friendship. Who would have thought? Who would have food for thought? If the Bills offseason was a food for me, it would be the plate of food that your mother picked for you from the buffet when you were a kid. You see, when you're a kid, you get to go to these buffet, you're really young, your mom gets the plate for you. Or your dad gets a plate because they don't trust you. You're going to go up there. You're going to skip the whole thing. You're going to go right to the end, put five cookies on there and call it a day. You're like, you can't be trusted with this. So instead, I am going to get your plate for you. Now you have every step along the way. You have a scenario where you have your own opinions, right? They go up to the first thing at the buffet. You kind of give your mom a little nudge. Like, I-, I want that thing. Yeah, well, we already got something just like that a few minutes ago, so now we're going to get something different. They always make sure you have an overabundance of vegetables on there. They're like, okay, cool, green beans. Awesome, love green beans. Big fan of the green beans you got for me from this buffet, Mom. But you end up getting some stuff on there that you don't really like, but you know your mom always throws you a bone because she's mom, right? She throws, she throws you a bone. She knows that the chicken fried steak is your favorite. Mm. She knows that the mac and cheese is your favorite. And so even though you might get some stuff that you didn't really like that much, maybe you missed out on an opportunity for something you really, really liked, you're still going to get some stuff that's fun. It's not going to be exactly what it would have been if you would have gotten to make all the calls, but it's not bad. That's the way I feel about the Buffalo Bills 2023 offseason. I'm not thrilled with the idea that the Bills let Tremaine Edmonds walk and replaced him with basically nothing. 
I'm not thrilled with some of the Dorian Williams's picks in the draft. I'm not thrilled with some of the, the Justin Shorter's picks in the draft relative to other players who I thought were there. There's some other things I wouldn't have wouldn't have done myself. I, I mentioned on the week, the Bruce exclusive last week, that I didn't love the Boogie Basham trade, right? Wasn't a fan of the Boogie. And it wasn't because, well, Bruce, it's better than cutting him. Yes, it's better than cutting him, but it's not as good as keeping him. I would have preferred if the options were keep him, cut him, or get that return, the best of those three is just keep him, in my opinion. So, yeah, it's not perfect. And yeah, Brandon Bean made me eat some vegetables that I didn't like, for <laughs> sure. But there's still some stuff I really enjoyed. I really like the Dalton Kincaid pick. When I was doing the show with Joe Marino after the draft, where we put our flags in the ground and we say, okay, here's who I would have picked. My pick in the first round was Dalton Kincaid. My pick in the second round was Osiris Torrance. Mm. I went chalk with Brandon Bean for the first two picks. I'm very happy about that. And so far, it's looking like Brandon Bean and Bruce Nolan probably were right. Because Dalton Kincaid looks fantastic. Yes, he does. Osiris Torrance looks solid. Yep. And so, so far, you're feeling pretty optimistic about what you've seen. So just like the buffet, yeah, it's a little stuff you don't like. But you know your mom's going to throw you a bone. She's going to – she knows that you don't want to walk away miserable from a buffet. Nobody likes that. And so she's going to toss you a bone. She's going to throw in – Throw in those baked apples or something. That you're oh, like, yes. The baked you know, apples. The yes. baked apples at the end. Mm. So now, Nate, CeCe's Pizza. Are you familiar? I am familiar. So I've lived all over the country, and I have lived in some spots where CeCe's Pizza was common. And I used to make sure that I was hitting up a CeCe's Pizza. And there were mm. times when I would hit up a CeCe's Pizza, and I think to myself, if I would have gone to a CC's, I never went to a CC's when I was like five or four years old. I, I never went to a CC's when I was that young. But if, if I would have, what would my mother have gotten for me? Ooh, right. Wow. Because it's all pizza. Yeah. Right? It's pizza and pasta. It's like, it's not, it's not I think at a, that point, she's probably just letting you. Right. Mac and cheese pizza. Sure. Right? Because right. it's just pizza and yeah. pasta. There is no yeah. balanced meal at a CC's pizza buffet. That's not a thing <laughs> no. that happens. No. It's basically just avoid getting all the ice cream. Yeah, right. right. And, I, and that was never an issue for me. I like sweets, but I, I I overwhelmingly prefer savory food. Like if I have the option and most of the time it's a bowl of ice cream or a hamburger, I'm taking the hamburger. Like just almost all the time. What a like wild choice a that would be. What would, what a wild choice. So imagine imagine a world where you were you were asked in in a real situation, "Sir, would you like the burger or the ice cream?" Like <laughs> How wrong you're on like, an airplane and what the choices if, are a burger or ice cream. And you're like, what airline is this? You know, like oh, yes, what, I what I had lasagna. <laughs> what what turn did you take in life where that has been a choice that has been offered to you, sir? Burger or vanilla ice cream? Uh... Nate, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Are you an airplane guy? Like like the movie Airplane? Oh you no, fan? I've never I've never seen the movie Airplane. Okay. Nate, when we are done here. Is that my homework? That's your homework. Okay. Right? For, for the next time we do this, which I don't know, it could be a year. But you have to watch. Airplane is my favorite movie of all time. Really? Okay. It's my number one favorite movie wow. of all time. And I, I know all the jokes and I still laugh all the time. I, I absolutely adore that movie. It's that style of humor. I don't know if you've ever seen the TBS show. What year? Angie, 
Angie Tribeck. It was 1970. Oh, 76. Hold on. Let me just I feel like maybe I've seen, I feel like maybe some gifts and or reels. 1980, 1980 okay. American comedy film written and directed by David and Jerry Zucker. It feels like I've seen some like clips on it on like Instagram or like on Twitter, like the, but it's, it's hard to identify. I, I bet who is the main actor, the one where he's sweating and he's the, he's flying the plane and, and there's all this sweat coming down. Yes. His face. Yes. Okay. That, that, that gif is from, I, airplane. I would be able to identify the movie. I've just never seen it. It is my favorite movie of all time. And in it, um, one of the one of the things that made that movie work was they hired a previously very serious dramatic actor in Leslie Nielsen to do straight man comedy. That's one of the, the he al almost launched a genre by itself. And that is a completely straight faced comedy. And so this is someone, you know, uh, Leslie Nielsen plays this doctor on this airplane where everyone's getting sick. And they say. Uh, you know, he goes, well, what was the, what are the meal plans? There's chicken and fish. He goes, oh yes, I know I had lasagna and just completely straight faced. <laughs> and you're like, what, what are you, what, what are you talking about? And so many, that's of course the line where it says, um, this, he goes, this man needs a hospital, a hospital. What is it? It's a big building with sick people, but that's not important right now. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, that's the kind of humor sure. we're talking about. That's but good. Yeah. when you said burger or ice cream, that's exactly what I thought of burger or ice cream. That's right. I had lasagna. So that's the reason why I said lasagna and went down the went down the rabbit hole on that one. So that's the way that I feel about if the Bills offseason was a food. We are going to take a quick break. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive Food for Thought. <laughs> I tried to do that all, all in one simple syllable. The Bruce Exclusive Food for Thought. You sounded like one of the, the commercial guys reading the terms and conditions at the end of a commercial. That's right. Terms and conditions very rare. Make us diarrhea. Batteries sold separately. So we have talked about opening game foods. Mm -hmm. We have talked about if the Bills offseason was a food, what kind of food would it be? 
And now we're going to hit up a food simile because the Buffalo Bills made two, I don't say major, but two notable additions to the roster. My dogs are barking in the background. You're going to have to forgive me. They would like to chime in on food for thought. And two notable additions from veterans who are at positions of perceived importance and need for the Buffalo Bills. And that is offensive tackle Jermaine Effetti and middle linebacker Christian Kirksey. So the question for you, Nate, is the Bills additions of Jermaine Effetti and Christian Kirksey make me feel like this is our food simile for the week. So the additions of Christian Kirksey and Jermaine Effetti make me feel like at my favorite restaurant, they're replacing the executive chef with the sous chef. And why is this, Bruce? Um, well, I'll tell you this, right? So imagine you're at your favorite restaurant and the executive chef or head chef that has been there for a long time, all of a sudden either retires or takes a better job and leaves, right? And now there's this vacancy in place. And so now you have this anxiety. Well, what's going to change now that the person that has been making my favorite meals for the last 10 years is gone? What is that favorite meal going to taste like? Is it going to taste the same as our new ingredients going to be introduced? Is it going to be on the menu at all anymore? Um, these are like things that I think a lot of people have thought about the middle linebacker position. There's been a lot of concern about Spencer Brown holding up at the right tackle position and them not really doing a lot to ensure themselves that in case either faltered, there was a guy sitting behind there. Um, and in this case, uh, Jermaine Effetti and um, you know Christian Kirksey are two veterans that have played a lot of football in the league. And in particular with Kirksey, you now are, he's on your practice squad. So this gives you an opportunity to get him up to speed and give Terrell Bernard a real opportunity because I believe that's who's ultimately going to be starting week one. I think everyone knows what you have in Tyrell Dotson. You know that he is not the chef you want taking over for the, for the Tremaine Edmonds kitchen, so to speak. Right. And Terrell Bernard is kind of the, you know, maybe he's more of a line chef that has been previously at the restaurant and knows the, it knows what, you know, ingredients go into the dishes, uh, doesn't have a lot of experience. And we just haven't seen whether or not he can actually handle the pressure of being in an executive chef position without stepping foot, maybe into a sous chef role first. And I think that's where we are with Terrell Bernard. So getting Christian Kirksey, you know, although the familiarity with, you know, the meals and the, how the operations in the kitchen work, you believe that he can execute the job because you know, A, um, you've been interested in him before, you wanted him to run your kitchen before, but B, um, you now have a guy that you know has done it in the league and led the league or led his team last year in tackles and can be a veteran that can walk in and maybe be an upgrade, uh, at least from an experience and top level perspective. But I think overall, it, it just sort of is this feeling of insurance. It's this feeling of things are changing but we're bringing someone that knows how to win, that knows how to be successful at these positions. And I think that goes for both right tackle and the middle linebacker position. Just like you never left, man. Just like we never stopped doing it. Just crushed it. Absolutely crushed it. That is a great food simile. Bon appetit. I am not going to beat that one, but I'm going to try anyway. For me... The Bills additions of Jermaine Effetti and Christian Kirksey make me feel like I just pulled out the ribs from resting in the cooler after smoking. Now, Nate, since the last time mm. you and I have talked, I've You've taken been a smoking, smoking machine. 
I've taken up smoking. And love it. I would like to quick go off on a, on a side note. I don't like gatekeepers in mm. life. And you you are not a gatekeeper guy. I am is not I, you. I am not a gatekeeper. Everybody's uh-huh. everybody's welcome. Come on in. And so for me, I did a lot of research on smokers. Okay. Uh, the ones that I would like, the ones sure. that would fit, you know, capacity-wise, the things that would fit, you know, the situation where I was going to have it, you know, quality control, warranties, customer service, things like that. The one we ended up getting was an electric smoker. The way to go. And I really, really have enjoyed it. And the people out there who are telling me that I can't make good food or my food is stupid because it's an electric smoker, like, come on, guys. Seriously, are we really at that point? Are we really elitist about smokers now? Like food, social media and food, Twitter, and you guys should be the most accepting of all. But we've turned it into this really bad thing with specific Gotta do it this way or don't do it at all. Right. And so, I mean, aside from the people who, who do their steaks well done, those people we can... They can the, F the, right off. Yeah, those people we can we can throw we can, the we, can, we can we can throw them off the boat. hundred yeah. percent. But it's the same people who tell me that I can't sous vide my steak because real men cook it on a grill, right? A, dude, like listen, it, it's a perfectly acceptable way of getting what you want to get done within as small of a margin as humanly possible, which and is exactly what, my situation with the electric smoker. My people, electric smoker can hold temperature within 100%. two degrees. Yep. In the freezing cold for 12 hours. Did you get the Traeger? I did not get a Traeger. Which one did you get? I got a smoke in it. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I, I was, it, I've been pellets, very, right? very, very pleased with, pellets? with how it's gone. No. Um, chips. So okay. Like and, it's, and, it's, and it's a vertical. It's a it's, vertical thing. I put the chunks okay. in the bottom. It has a heating element down there. And it holds temperature unbelievably well. Yeah. And I, I was really in when I bought my smoker. It's funny how our roles have have switched a little bit in some ways. Right. Like when I was before I moved and got into my apartment here, um, I was smoker guy. Right. And I was trying to convince you to become smoker guy. Yep. And then I moved here. There is a vertical smoker. I have not used it. It's on the on the common space. We have an outdoor common space with a grill, and which is nice. Right. Uh, we have a charcoal and a um, and a gas grill here. So nice little situation. Um, I use the grill. But I ultimately decided to go with the electric as well. But I went with the electric pellet grill. And the big reason I went with the electric pellet grill was I still wanted to have that open heat source. Like I wanted to be able to say, okay, I smoked this for however long. I'd love to get a quick char. Or if I'm making steak, that was the big reason for me was I want to make a big strip, a big, thick bone-in ribeye or something, sous vide the crap out of it two hours, you know, make sure it's just, it's just falling off the bone. And then you go up and you throw that at a thousand degrees right on the open flame. Oh man. It's, it's almost impossible to get a good of a char as you could get with that open flame source. So I was really, it's almost like a seven in one. It's not just a smoker, you know, have indirect and direct heat and you get that pellet. So you, which I like a little bit better than the, um, than the chips, but I have had fantastic barbecue out of a vertical smoker. And I'm sure you're banging out beautiful briskets and and ribs there bruce so uh don't let the people don't let the people get you down my first couple pork shoulders were dry and i figured it out the the brisket was fantastic the ribs were great and now i'm gonna circle back i'm doing ribs this weekend i think probably but i'm gonna circle back to pork shoulder now that i've I've figured it out and uh, first and foremost during the open smoking process 
are you spraying it down with the apple cider water water mix? No, I do not open it at all until it's time to wrap it. Now, once so, I hmm. once I take it out to wrap it, that's when I'll do whatever I need to do with it, whether it's put barbecue sauce on or whatever. Because once I shut it, that bad boy does not open at all until it's time to wrap it. Halfway uh, through, 160, 162, something like that, I take it out. I put the barbecue sauce or the apple cider vinegar or whatever it is on it at that point. Then yep. I'll wrap it and put it back on. And again, I'm not pulling it out until it's end because I don't want to lose a single bit of it. So I would tell you that if you, in the process of a seven hour smoke, decided to open that thing up for thir- for 15 seconds and dose the crap out of it with some apple cider vinegar and a water mixture, it will retain some of the moisture that I think you're losing in that open smoke process. And then I, that, really? but will it interfere with my ability to get a good bark? That's no, in fact, it can help, um, especially the apple cider vinegar. And it gives the bark a really like, acidic delicious taste um like when you when you taste like good texas barbecue you are going to get a little bit of that vinegary taste to it um same with like north carolina style but that's more so in the sauce than it is the actual cooking process for me especially when i did the brisket and especially when i did the um the pastrami like i am dosing that with the apple cider vinegar and water it's like maybe one part apple cider vinegar, one and a half, two parts water. Um, and then that, it just keeps everything nice and, and wet and moistured um, will, while it's in there. I will make an adjustment one time and I'll see how it goes. And, anyway, and do that you, was a, when, when a when huge when, diversion we just went on. I know, I know. But hey, listen, you know, listen, our people want to hear us talk food, Bruce. This is, this is just. It's, it, it's, it's, it's the Bruce. <laughs> Are you keeping the pork shoulder in a, in a flat surface where water, where the liquids are moving away or is the liquids like underneath staying like in a pool? It is. So the pork shoulder is on the grate. Okay. It is directly on the grate. And then when I take it out, I wrap it and I put it back on the butcher paper. Yeah. uh, Foil actually. So um, it's back and forth. Butcher paper will give you a better bark. Foil will give yeah. you more juice on the end. So I, I, I always err on the side of more tender because they get more humidity. Sure. Um, but but hey, this is the beauty of smoking, buddy. You try one thing, you try another thing. And at the end of the day, if it's bad, it's bad barbecue. And right. bad barbecue is still barbecue. So anyway, circling all Tangent the way back. The Bill's editions of Jermaine Effetti and Christian Kirksey oh, yeah, make that. me feel like I pulled the ribs out from resting in the cooler after the smoking. I snuck a bite in because of course you do. Mm-hmm. And they were good. I immediately thought to myself, okay, no matter how the side dishes turn out here, at least we got that right. Listen, I don't know if the entire meal will be a grand slam or not, because I don't know if the deviled eggs are going to come out. Okay. I don't know if the dip's going to come out. Okay. I don't know if all the other stuff we're doing is going to come out. Okay. It probably will, but I don't know that for sure. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that the entire meal, the meal in totality, cannot be terrible because the ribs turned out well. Right. So no matter how bad it gets, it it can still be a below average meal because if you have good ribs and everything else is awful, that can still be a below average meal. But it can't be terrible because the main dish was good. That's how I feel about Jermaine Effetti and Christian Kirksey and specifically the additions. You have raised the floor of what level of play you could see at that position in 2023. If your floor of right tackle, worst case scenario is Jermaine Fetty, 
And your worst case scenario at middle linebacker is Christian Kirksey, which let's be honest, in an ideal world, neither of them play. In an ideal right. world, Spencer right. Brown plays well at right tackle. Terrell Bernard ends up playing well at middle linebacker. You don't see any of those people. You haven't changed the ceiling of those things. You have changed the floor. So in the sense that when I take the ribs off and I have them, I go, okay, that floor of the meal has been established. Not the ceiling. The ceiling has yet to be established because it's going to be determined by a bunch of other things that we don't know yet, which is how are the deviled eggs? How's the mac and cheese? Mm -hmm. It's still in the oven. How are the green beans? How are the, whatever it is. Those things have yet to be established. Those things will determine the ceiling, but I do know the floor is safe. The floor is not lava. And the floor being Terrell Bernard is different than the yes, floor being Christian Kirksey. And the yes, ceiling of Terrell is. Bernard is different than the ceiling of Christian Kirksey. And the floor be of Tyrell Dodson <sighs> is different than the floor of Christian Kirksey. And the floor... Yeah of David Questenberry is different than the floor of Jermaine Effetti. So that's the way I feel from those moves. I don't think anyone should be excited about the ceiling of this team after those additions. You should be excited that the worst case scenario is better than the worst case scenario was before. Yep. And that's good enough. When you are making these adjustments, I want you to look around the league and think to yourself, whether or not any team out there made a significant impact to their ceiling through cutdown day. Anybody? Bueller? Nobody. No. This is not about adjusting your ceiling. If you're thinking, well, I wish Brandon Bean would have. Listen, dude, I understand the hindsight argument. I do. I understand the, well, I wish you would have done this during free agency. I wish you would have done this during the draft. I'm okay with that. I understand the hindsight thing. But as far as right now, the decisions you can make as a GM right now, they're about your floor, not about your ceiling. The best thing you can do at cut down day and practice squad is adjust the worst case scenario for your team. And that's exactly what the Bills did. And so that leads us right into winners and losers. A tradition of the week. Like I'm going to go first. The winner of the week, as far as cut down day goes all the way up to the beginning of regular season, it's the Buffalo Bills. That's the winner of the week because I think the Bills made strategic maneuvers at positions of concern to address the floors. And I think that's as good as you could possibly do. And I know I didn't like the Boogie Basham trade, but you, you can't possibly like every single transaction your team makes. It's not possible. If you like every transaction your team makes, you're not being intellectually honest. You're not. This is the, well, I'm sure glad Brandon Bean's in charge and not you. Okay, well, you know what? Let's just sit and wait for Brandon Bean to make a maneuver and then cheerlead. Let's just do it. That feels like a really boring <laughs> life to me. Sure right? does. That feels like a really boring life. It's not possible for every maneuver that he makes to be great. It's not possible. It cannot happen. In totality, it can be possible for him to be moving the franchise in a good direction. And I am completely happy. I'm very pleased with what the Bills did at cutdown day to change the floor. Getting Andy Isabella back on the practice squad is a floor maneuver, and I'm happy about it. What if Deontay Hardy, Khalil Shakir, Trent Sherfield don't give you that thing? I'd much rather turn to Andy Isabella on the practice squad than try to convince Cole Beasley to come out of retirement yep. one more time, right? And come play for the Buffalo Bills. I know that he got cut from the Giants and he's probably going to go with the practice squad. I, I know that. But that's what the Bills did last year. They came in, 
two thirds of the way through the year. And we're like, Oh, we should probably pull Cole Beasley out. Cause the slot receiver didn't thing didn't go the way we wanted it to. I'd much rather turn to Andy Isabella on the practice squad. Again, you have changed the floor. The Buffalo bills handled cut down day as good, if not better than any other team in the league, in my opinion. So I am perfectly happy. And I'm listen, I've oscillated between being very critical early this off season. And I was critical of Kyrie Elam and things like that. And now I'm praising because you can simultaneously do something really well and also do something else poorly. And I think the Bills handled cutdown day and final roster practice squad, bottom of the roster churning about as well as you possibly could. So for me, the winner of the week is the Buffalo Bills. Nate, who's your winner of the week? My winner of the week are the Miami Dolphins because they didn't end up trading an asset or in from what you're hearing, Jalen Waddle. And then going ahead and paying Jonathan Taylor 13, 14, 15 million dollars uh, over the next three or four seasons. Like they dodged a bullet. The idea that all these Dolphins fans really wanted J- Jonathan Taylor and believed he was the true missing link to the Dolphins Super Bowl aspirations. Um, I just it's it's hard to know what anyone's been paying attention to. Right. And then how good was Todd Gurley until he wasn't? How good you know, like there, there are anomalies. There are the Nick Chubbs. There are the Derrick Henrys. But both of those guys are guys that are slowing down. Um, and, it, and Henry's not even 30 yet. He's like 29. He's about to be 30 years old. Um, and I know JT's 23 or 24 or whatever it is. But he's been banged up this this last season. And all, it's, all it sort of takes, Bruce, is one year of being banged up. He's on the PUP list now. He's starting the season. Going to miss the first four games. I don't know what's going to happen in, in Indianapolis. But I can tell you what's not going to happen in Miami. They're not going to piss Christian Wilkins off, which is a good idea. And like, that's one of those things where, yeah, you're excited for JT, but you got a guy that is the heart and soul of the defense who's waiting to get paid. And whether you believe he's asking for ridiculous money or not, going out and trading for someone and then paying that person top of market money before you take care of your own is a surefire way to, to create a locker room issues and rifts and so on and so forth, especially for a guy who's respected and loved in that locker room. As Christian Wilkins. So the Miami Dolphins, my biggest winner this week for not doing something. Biggest loser of the week. Biggest loser of the week has to be Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch to a certain extent, but Kyle Shanahan hearing the, the, the press conferences, first and foremost, Kyle Shanahan sending out players after that trade um, and forcing guys like Fred Warner and some of the other team captains to field questions on it rather than himself. And then having John Lynch go out there and say that they never really formulated an offense around his skill set. And, um, you know, just everything that has gone on since that offseason and that lead up to the draft, where, okay, they early in that draft process, Bruce, they trade up and they get to the number three overall pick, right? And everyone's talking about, well, it's going to be Mac. They're trading up for Mac Jones. It's Mac Jones. It's Mac Jones. It's Mac Jones. I think there was real, real, real credence to that theory because is Brock Purdy not just Mac Jones, just another Mac Jones? Like that's what Brock Purdy is, and that's who he has decided that the keys of his franchise to go to Mr. Irrelevant over the guy they traded third, three first-round picks and a second-round pick for. And instead of spending time to develop him, this fallacy that because they're in a window that they cannot develop the most important position I think is 
absolutely absurd because it goes against every reason you draft a player like Trey Lance. It's the ceiling, not the floor. And and what Kyle Shanahan has proven that he values the higher floor than the higher ceiling because of how good he believes he truly is as a play caller. And I think John Lynch, the responsible thing to do is when you get an opportunity to move up. And first of all, the, the, the draft class of quarterback turned out to be not all that great after all, right? It, that is sort of what it is. But I'll say this, Bruce, is I think if you look at two guys, the guy that clearly pulled the trigger on Trey Lance was was John Lynch. It was not Kyle Shannon because I think if Kyle Shannon had, had what he wanted, he'd have Mac Jones would be a San Francisco 49er. And so I do believe that this was all about John Lynch going for someone that he believed could give them an added element of the athleticism, the the extending of the plays. And if you could live in Kyle Shanahan's offense and Kyle Shanahan can make any quarterback great. Well, what about a quarterback that can extend plays and be athletic? And I, and I applaud a guy in the position that John Lynch was in and the mastermind offensive coordinator and head coach you have with Kyle Shanahan, did you be able to get the most out of Trey Lance? But the idea that it feels like Kyle Shanahan sort of sabotaged that every step of the way. Um, and of course it's unfortunate that he gets the ankle injury and you don't get to see a season of him. But how you can go from he's your unquestioned starter to and and benching a a guy that got you to an NFC championship game and almost won, won you a Super Bowl in Jimmy Garoppolo. I just don't know how you can that can happen so quickly in one season. And and if it's because he wasn't good enough or she wasn't showing enough in practice, um, that's on you. They they treated him, uh, Bruce, like like he was Nathan Peterman. Is, is kind of how he was treated. Like he was this guy that was going into games and did not look the part of a quarterback. Um, I think there was some some ugly things to his game, but I think there was also a lot of things that he proved he could be really good at. So um, I think he ends up in a situation where I don't know that anyone that was going to, that where he needed to go is go, go somewhere where he's going to play. And he's not going to have that really opportunity in Dallas unless there's injury. But I think there's a good chance he plays in one or at least two games because Dak Prescott misses games every year. So um, maybe in that sense, he went to the best place to have an opportunity to show and flash in a short couple of game span that he can be a team or he could be a guy on a team that that is good and he's surrounded with the right pieces. But yeah, biggest loser is Kyle Shanahan. Just kind of looks like a jolt in the situation. My biggest loser of the week is Jim Irsay. And we could we could take Jim Irsay for a, a, a lot of times, right? But Jim, Jim Irsay has handled the Jonathan Taylor situation suboptimally from the beginning right just first off just stay off twitter jim just just stay off twitter you make things worse you meet with him nothing gets resolved you go on twitter and you talk about running back markets you say bizarre things like the world's going to move on without without us you know if we disappear off the planet tomorrow it's been a a mishandle from the beginning here's what you need to do just let Chris Ballard talk for you. Just let him do it. Because Chris Ballard talked to the media last week, and he said, listen, this sucks. Relationships can be repaired, but this sucks. It sucks for the Colts. It sucks for Jonathan Taylor. It sucks for our fans. He says, but relationships are repairable. They're repairable when guys get emotional and they take a stance. You have to be able to work through those. Chris Ballard should be speaking on behalf of the Indianapolis Colts. You hired him to do that. Let him do that. Because every time he talks, 
we get closer to understanding, we get closer to potentially a repair, we get closer to a solution. And every time you talk, Jim, it gets worse. So just don't talk anymore. Let Chris Ballard do what you hired him to do, and that's run the team, handle the contract negotiations, handle the things you need to handle, talk to Jonathan Taylor's agent, let him do the things he needs to do. Because I can almost guarantee you that a GM like that is rolling his eyes and giving out deep sighs at an owner like that who's constantly impacting his ability to do his job. You hired me to do a job, Mr. Owner. Would you please let me do it without causing me any problems? Because I am 100% convinced that the Indianapolis Colts had no intention of actually trading Jonathan no, Taylor no. unless they got something bonkers. They only said that to attempt to appease him and pacify him so they could say, hey, we tried, right? But then if you go and make crazy demands that then get leaked, then that doesn't end up pacifying him. If he doesn't feel, if Jonathan Taylor doesn't feel like you actually made a good faith effort to try to resolve the situation, then you didn't actually achieve what you wanted to achieve by faking the fact that you were going to get him out to begin with. So all of that dog and pony show, the idea that we were going to do a trade and we were going to have conversations with people and we were going to do it. If it's all to pacify Jonathan Taylor, but then you make some sort of crazy request, which you know Ursay had something to do with, mm -hmm. and then it gets leaked, Jonathan Taylor's going to look, he's not going to feel you, pacified. Yeah. He's not going to feel sated by the fact that you tried to do right by me as a player. Because he, he doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that you're trying to do right by me as a player. I'm not saying you should sign into a fat contract. If anything, I'm sitting here going, if someone's going to give you good stuff, like if someone's going to give you, you're talking to the, the Packers, okay? Allegedly, the Packers were a mystery team. If they're going to give you Aaron Jones in a three, you take it. Aaron Jones is a stud first off, right? And if you were only going to have Jonathan Taylor for another year, what's the difference between having Jonathan Taylor for a year and having Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Jones for a year, plus a three? Take the deal at that point. But if you are not getting something because you're making ridiculous demands and then those things get leaked and then Jonathan Taylor finds out about it, your entire strategy behind the dog and pony show just blew up in your face. My biggest loser is Jim Ursay. I like Chris Ballard. I don't agree with him on a lot of stuff from a GM standpoint, but I like Chris Ballard. I think he's competent. I think he knows how to handle the press. I think he knows how to handle a lot of things. Just stay out of his way and let him do his job. So just do it. So for me, when it comes to the biggest losers of the week, it's Jim Irsay. And now you put Jonathan Taylor on the pup. He's out for at least the first four games. Your trade value on him now got diminished. You have to hope. Now you're sitting around hoping that somebody suffers through an injury in the midseason, and now your offers are better. You're literally hoping for someone to get hurt so that your offers on October 31st are better than your offers were on August 31st. And that's a bad position to be in because if uh -huh. not, you're left holding the bag with a really unhappy person who is going to tank when you're trying to rebuild around a young quarterback, he's going to tank your locker room culture and it's going to be a lousy situation. 
you're not going to, I mean, do you really think you're going to go to like the second or third round of the playoffs this year anyway? <laughs> right. And he's in the last year of his contract. You know, he's not going to be happy about playing out and getting tagged. You know, that's not going to be something. If he's already upset, he's not getting re-signed, then he's not going to be happy about that. And you're going to be right where you were last year. And you really think Jonathan Taylor is going to pull a Saquon Barkley? You think he's going to pull a uh, Josh Jacobs? I don't think so. Because if he was going to do that, he would be more than willing to play out the last year of his contract without throwing a fit. But the fact that he's throwing a fit now indicates that he's not going to go the route of Josh Jacobs Bridges, and, yeah. and, and, and Saquon and get a one-year deal that's a little bit better from a, a ceiling standpoint than the franchise. I don't think he's going to do that. I don't think you can go down that road with him. So what's your end game here, folks? And it's Ursay the one who's causing these issues. Just let Chris Ballard do his job, right? And maybe, maybe you can pacify him. But you're not going to do it by having Ursay get involved. So my biggest loser of the week is Jim Ursay because I think he brought a chunk of the situation on himself. Meddling owner. Just the way it is. Nate, we did it. We, we did the thing. did, friend. The thing has been done. For those of you who are excited about this, I am glad that this brought a smile to your face. I'm glad we were able to have a little bit of fun. I'm glad we were able to kick off the regular season with a little bit of a different vibe. And I hope, most of all, that you didn't leave hungry. Because that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan. That's Nate Geary. This is Buffalo Rumblings. Okay, bye. <laughs>